Hello and welcome to Celebration Church. I am Pastor Mark Unger and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. As you can see, I'm not physically here tonight, but I wanted to go ahead and get this on videotape so we could continue our study in the book of James. I had to go out of town today, went to New York City, that's where Deb and I are right now, and getting ready to meet with my publisher uh, tomorrow morning. So pray that God will bless us and help us as we get this book together. But uh, a lot of fun, exciting, get a kick out of me having a publisher. But anyway, by the way, whenever you hear me talk about publishers and booking agents and all that kind of stuff, sounds hoity-toity, and to some people it is. To me, it's not. I, I just get a kick out of it. I, I can't believe anybody does any of this stuff for us. But it's just a wonderful thing that we can uh, do what we're doing, and God's uh, opening doors for us. And uh, But I don't take myself too terribly seriously. Anyway, looking at James, we're picking it up at the 13th, chap- uh, 13th verse of chapter 1. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after sin has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, last time we were studying, um, we finished off at verse 12. And by the way, let me encourage you to bring your Bibles with you on Wednesday nights. Usually, uh, you know, obviously, in all the services, we put the big Bible in the sky on the screens and stuff like that. And on Sunday mornings, it's really not that important because I'll take verses and jump around and it's more topical. But on Wednesday nights, we're doing verse-by-verse study of the Word of God so that you can get a chance to really learn what the Bible says and what it has to say and how to, how to, how to understand it. The great thing about having your Bible with you is that you're able to, while we're looking at any particular verse, see what was just said and what's going to be said. You can kind of see it in context because the context is very, very important. These guys didn't write just little verses at a time. They wrote entire books, entire letters, epistles that they sent out to one another, and they did it in context. So what we try and do on Wednesday night is really look at the book of the Bible and try and understand it in context. Having said that, the context of what he's talking about now, he had just said uh, in verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. We talked about that last week, how when you get trials and tribulations, these are not negative things in your life. These are positive things so that you can learn to overcome these things and grow in your faith. We talked about how in the book of Revelation, it said that Jesus said to him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me in my kingdom? Well, you can't be an overcomer if you don't have anything to overcome. A person who's an overcomer at heart will actually rejoice at the problem that's facing him because he's an overcomer at heart. He thinks, great, now I've got something to overcome. And he grows in his faith as a result and grows in his experience in God. Sadly, too many of us, when things are going lousy, do not rejoice at the opportunity to overcome something. We groan at it. We go, oh man, not another trial, not another test. Oh Lord, when will this all end? Why me? And we complain and we bellyache, but we don't grow in our faith. So what he's saying in verse 12 is rejoice when you see these things. Actually, he started that way back in verse 2. Consider it all joy. 
he said, when you fall into various trials. The actual uh, uh, Greek word there is uh, implies a celebration. It's like having a party. It's like calling all your friends and saying, come on over, we're having a party. They say, what, what are we celebrating? That my life stinks. That's what we're celebrating. This is the kind of mentality that these guys were talking about because they were overcomers at heart. When they saw trouble and persecution and tempt, or, or not temptation, but trials of their faith, they rejoiced about these things thinking, this is great. I can grow through this thing. So that's why it's significant when he gets to verse 13 there. He says, but when you're tempted, that's different. God does not tempt people. Trials and tribulations, overcoming walls that pop up, sometimes actually God allows these things in our life to teach us to grow, to teach us to trust him, to teach us to have faith. The way little birdies learn to fly is the mother pushes them out of the nest. The bird does not want to go out of the nest. They want to stay where it's nice and warm and fuzzy. And I'm sure the first thing the bird is thinking when she's trying to push him out is, what are you doing to me? And he gets out and, ah! And then something kicks in and they start to fly. And they start learning how to fly. That's what God does for us. Often pushing us out of our comfort zone, letting us know that, hey, you're not going to die. You're not going to fail. You can do this. Life will go on. You can learn to succeed even in the midst of trouble. All these wonderful lessons that he tries to teach us. But when it comes to the temptation area, he specifically goes out of his way to say now, but when it comes to temptation, God isn't doing that. God does not send send temptation your way to teach you something. There's nothing good that comes from temptation. You need to look at temptation as what it is, which is a very, very dangerous place to be. He talks about, he says, look, you need to be careful with temptation. This isn't God doing this. He says, when uh, uh, temptation only comes when we're dragged away by our own evil desire. He said, now wait a minute, I'm a born-again Christian. Do do I have evil desires? Well, Well, not in your heart, because Jesus lives there, and you've been born again. But in your flesh, our flesh is full of evil desires. It's full of selfishness. It's full of what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And and this is always going to be stuck with us until the day we die. Uh, while none of us are looking forward to death, particularly me, because I hate pain. But uh, as, as much as uh, we don't look forward to death, um, when death comes, it actually is a liberating experience to the believer. Because now you're finally free of this weight that is constantly throwing negativity into our lives. When you sin, when you fall into temptation, when you say nasty things, when you lose your temper, when you get mean, all of that stuff is our flesh that is constantly at war. So when you start feeling yourself being drawn into an area, whether it's some sexual temptation or a temptation to be mean and nasty or whatever it is that we all go through, temptation just to be afraid all the time, whatever it is, you have to understand, this is not God doing this. This is the sinful flesh. This is that nature. And, and you have to understand something about our sinful flesh. It is doomed. It is unredeemable. That is the power of sin. In our spirit, we've been born again. Our souls are being renewed uh, in the word of God and by thinking the right thoughts that the Bible tells us to think. But when it comes to your body, it's hopeless. The best you can do is to keep it in line. Paul talks about keeping your flesh under, keeping your flesh in line, keeping your carnal nature in, in the right place because it will always fight against you. And that's why we all have to die because this part of us is unfixable. It is so poisoned by sin. That's why everybody will die. Nobody gets into heaven in this state. 
uh, the best, obviously, I'm, we're all kind of hoping for the rapture because then we don't have to die, you know. But, but then we'll be changed in an instant, the Bible says. This flesh will be instantly melted away and we'll have these glorified bodies and uh, it'll be wonderful. Our physical bodies, if otherwise if you're not in the rapture, is going to be stuck in a grave somewhere. It's going to rot away or however you're going to dispose of yourself. I have no idea or people around you will dispose of you. <laughs> You'll be dead. But uh, however it goes, but someday that will be brought back to life, but now in a glorious form, a glorified body, the Bible talks about, that we're going to have at the resurrection. Then we'll be complete again. We'll have body, soul, and spirit. That's how we were designed to always be, and we'll always be that way through eternity. If you were to die right now, you go to heaven, your spirit goes to heaven, but you're still not truly complete. God intends us throughout eternity to be body, soul, and spirit. And we're just waiting till resurrection day till we get the new bodies, and then we'll be as God always intended us to be. But this part of you, the part that you see, the part that gives you fits and troubles and worries and temptations and all this stuff, is poisoned by sin, and it is totally, completely hopeless. The only thing that's going to happen to your body is it's going to turn to dust. Unredeemable until that last resurrection, when we're turned into a glorified body. So, anyway, he says, this is what temptation is. It's that flesh coming to life in you, pulling you, trying to take you someplace where you know you're not supposed to be. And he says, when you feel that, that's different than a temptation, that's, um, uh, than a trial. That's different than an obstacle. That's different than something you need to overcome. That is temptation. And Jesus actually taught us to pray Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Why? Because temptation is a powerful thing and it's a negative thing. It's not positive. There's nothing for you to learn from it. When you start feeling that way, you need to get very serious in prayer and changing the way you think so that you get out of that place. Nothing good comes from that. Don't take it casually. He talks about that after this desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin. And the funny thing about things that conceive, that you don't see them right away. A woman can conceive of a child today and won't even know about it for some time to come. And anyone around her won't know about it for months to come until she begins to show. Uh, Why? It takes time for conception to actually turn into an actual uh, uh, baby that will be born. The same way with sin. That's why you're not supposed to be casual about it. You think, ah, I'm okay, it's not bothering me. No, no, I, I, know I, sh- I know I shouldn't get that angry about somebody and want to, boy, I'm going to punch that guy in the mouth. And You know, we rehearse a lot of times our temptations in our heads. You know, thinking, boy, if I got in that situation, I'd do this. Or I'd tell that guy this. Or, I'd, boy, if I had that opportunity, that girl, I'd do this. You know, all these things that are poisonous and deadly, you think you're just playing in your head. This is actually conceiving sin in your life. You can't go there. You've got to get rid of this thing so that uh, you can stay free from sin. If you don't, it will conceive inside of you. It will grow. And all of a sudden you fall into sin. And most people, for some bizarre reason, Christians, particularly mature Christians, when they blow it and they sin, they fall in some way, they are like shocked. I don't know how it happened. I'm so sorry. I don't know. I'll tell you how it happened. You conceived that thing way back here. By not taking temptation seriously. By allowing these thought processes in your life. And allowing your flesh, your sinful flesh, to control you and to set the standard in your life. Don't do that. He says, this is not from God. This has nothing to do. So it's unlike trials and tribulations, which God will use to bless your life. If you want to truly grow in your faith, you've got to be able to trust God for, for things. I mean, everybody says they want miracles, but nobody wants to be in a place where they need a miracle. Well, I got bad news for you. 
You can't get a miracle till you need one. God doesn't, he never went around doing miracles just to show off. He didn't go around just to, uh, you know, zap people for the fun of zapping people. He came where there was need. You want miracles, you're going to get a miracle when you need a miracle. If you don't lose faith and get all upset because you need a miracle. It's all kind of a crazy, crazy thing. The good news is when, the good news is that there's a God in heaven who will answer your prayers and bring you your miracle. The bad news is that you'll need one before you get there. Anyway, so while that's wonderful, this whole temptation thing, not so wonderful. Don't go there. Stay out of that. Pray that you fall not into temptation. In fact, Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, pray every day, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is he teaching us? Every day, pray, God, keep me from this place. And if you're in a place right now where you've been playing and dinking around in your head with temptation and all kinds of nasty stuff, you need to stop it. Because this will destroy you. You think it's no big deal? It's a big deal. It's a dangerous place to be and you don't want to stay there. So get away from that. And then in verse 16, he makes this phrase. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Now, I don't know how your Bible has this in in my particular Bible. They didn't know if it was a, they, they kind of treat it like it's, it's a verse they didn't know where it belongs. You know, it's not quite the beginning of the next paragraph and they weren't sure if it was connected to the last paragraph. They kind of just stuck it in there um, uh, the way it looks like indented in my Bible. But I really think it's, it belongs to that whole part about sin. Don't be deceived. In other words, wake up, realize that there's a cost, there's a price to be paid when you're playing with temptation. Don't be deceived. Uh, and what's really funny is people who often get into very bad behavior and, and, and become deceived where they're, they're, they're not following the truth anymore. And if, and if you, uh, uh, you know, confront them and say, you know, I, th- I think you're being deceived. I've had people look at me and go, well, that, that can't be because I, I don't think I'm deceived. <laughs> well, <laughs> nobody who is deceived thinks they're deceived. That's the whole point of being deceived by definition is that you're going down the wrong path and you don't know it. That's being deceived. You can be deceived. You'll never think, gee, I'm being deceived. I guess I shouldn't be that way. You will get deceived if you start going down a path. You're not paying attention. You'll actually start believing a lie. You'll think that what's healthy, what's unhealthy is healthy. You'll start thinking that what's wrong is right. You lose your point of reference. He says, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't get deceived. Alright, so continuing now, uh, verse 17, he kind of changes the channel. That's the whole book of James is like this. Um, jumping from one subject kind of to another. Although there's an, there's an overall context as we go along. Uh, he, he says this, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, of, of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So, every good and perfect gift comes down from above. All the wonderful blessings in your life are not by happenstance. God cares about you. He loves you. Um, That's why we should be thankful. The Bible is constantly telling us to be thankful to God, to be appreciative, to praise God for all the blessings in our lives. Because all these good things, they didn't come just because you're so cute or because you think you're so smart. Good things come to you for one reason and one reason only. Because God Let them come to you. Because he says here, every good and perfect gift is from above. If you have anything in your life that's good, 
perfect, wonderful things. Rest assured, these things came to you from God. All the more reason to be thankful. Don't be like the guys that Jesus healed of leprosy and, uh, you know, they didn't come back and say thank you. One came back and said thank you, you know. Sadly, uh, most people just go on their whole life, all the blessings of God, never really take the time to thank God for anything. It's almost like they become deceived. They think this is happening because they're so smart or they made the best investments they could or because they're so intelligent or so well planned out or because, you know, who knows, lots of luck. I have no idea what they're thinking in their heads. But you need to be constantly in a state where you realize that your blessings come to you because God loves you and cares about you. Christian people, believers, should be the most thankful people on earth. I am always thanking God for all the blessings in my life, particularly because I'm painfully aware that I don't deserve any of them. I certainly don't think I'm smart enough or that I'm so unusually great or any of those sorts of things. These things come to me. Uh, because of God's blessing. One of the reasons I don't get all hoity-toity because I'm going to go see my publisher or whatever, you know, is I just don't take all that so seriously. Anything that happens isn't because Marky's so cool. It's because God's blessings are being uh, revealed in my life. You say, how do you know that? Well, because for most of my 52 years on earth, things weren't so good. <laughs> I didn't have lots of blessings. I didn't have a lot of people wanting to listen to what I had to say. I dare say most of my life, people didn't want to hear what I had to say. At one point, I got so discouraged, I got out of ministry altogether. You know, I, at this middle stage of my life, where people actually want to hear what I have to say, no one is more jazzed by that than me. And I'm amazed. Every weekend I get up and I do my seminars or come to church and this place is full of people and I get up to speak. I honestly, I'm telling you, in my heart, I stand up there and I think, this is amazing. The fact that you're sitting there right now listening to me via video, I think, this is amazing. People actually care what I have to say. These are blessings to me. And I think all of this comes from God. And I'm grateful and I'm thankful for all the things. Because I'll tell you what, you don't want to get so uh, hoity-toity that you think these that you can control those things. Man, the minute you get too proud and haughty, God can take any of those things from you at any given time. Be thankful. Be grateful for your life, for your children. Don't take your wife for granted. Don't take your children for granted. Don't take your family for granted. Don't take your wonderful pastor for granted. Don't take anybody for granted. Every blessing in your life, be grateful and thankful and let God know that you are grateful for the blessings that he's brought into your life. Somebody say amen. All right. So, continuing, he says, now he says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be kind of a first fruits of all he created. What is that talking about? Um, as, as I've shared with you before, this whole idea of, of being born again, Jesus called it being born again. I, I just mentioned to you how we're made up kind of of three parts, like God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are made in the image of God in that we have three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Well, our body, you can see, this is the hopeless... <laughs> part of us that's uh, forever doomed to, to sin. Uh, then we have our soul, our mind, our intellect that needs to be re- renewed, the Bible says, uh, by thinking uh, the right thoughts and studying the word of God. Uh, and then our spirit. Now our spirit, when you're born into the world, that's the part of you that's dead. We're all born into the world still born. Physically we're alive, mentally we're alive, most of us anyway. Uh, but our spirits are all dead. That's the part that everybody's walking around And they feel like something's missing. 
something's not right. Some of you tonight uh, are sitting in the service right now and, and you know something's not right. Maybe this is the first time you've ever even been in a church like this. And, and it might be a little odd and strange to you, especially listening to a preacher on a screen. But uh, all of it seems kind of weird. But there's something that you know. You don't have it all figured out. But one thing you know, something's missing something's not quite right what is that what is that and people are chasing uh, things trying to make it right they'll maybe you know they'll turn to money thinking money will make them happy and they'll get all the money they can and it's still something's not right or if I can find that right woman in my life or that right guy in my life that'll do it and and it's still not right and I think well maybe if I did drugs or got high or something this will fix it and people get into that and it's still not right what is it it's that part of you that's stillborn you're not whole you're not complete. Physically, you're alive. Mentally, you're alive. Spiritually, you're dead as a doornail if you've never let Christ breathe his life into you. It's what Jesus called being born again. That's why we refer to it being born again because we've been born the first time. We're not talking about physical birth, but spiritual birth where all of a sudden you ask Christ to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to breathe his life, his Holy Spirit into you. And all of a sudden... And for those of us who've been, who are here tonight and have experienced this, this is what makes Christianity so wonderful. This is the story that we try to share with everybody that we care about in our lives, that God loves you, that you can be born again. You can have the life of God in you. You can become a complete person on the inside. That dead, achy, something's wrong part of you can be fixed by letting God's love come into your life. And you can be born again. And and, uh, whatever analogy people use, born again, or I've seen the light, or whatever it is, something changed in my life, or some people call it, he got religion. You know, whatever they want to call it. What they're talking about is something has changed on the inside. And what that is, is God gave birth to us through the word of truth. What is that word of truth? The word of the scriptures, the promises of God, the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we could have forgiveness of sins and have eternal life. This is it. And he says, and all this was done that we might be kind, a kind of first fruits, the Bible says, of all he created. Now those of you who've uh, looked at the Old Testament and studied it at all, the Bible often talks about bringing our first fruits to God. In other words, the cream of the cream, the, 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 the very best, was always taken first uh, in their offerings to God whenever they would bring in a big uh, harvest or a bunch of sheep or cattle or whatever. They would take the very best and they would bring it to God and they would sacrifice it to God. This, this was the first fruits. The, the, the top cream, the best stuff, would come to God first. Well, isn't it interesting that God said that of all his creation, he wanted to make the first fruits, the very best, the sweetest part of all creation, he wanted to make it you and me. That we would become a kind of first fruits of his creation, of all he's created. God delights the most in those to whom will receive him by faith. To allow him to wash away their sins. To breathe life into them so they go, and they come alive. We become God's first fruits in his own creation back to him. He delights in us. Amazingly, you know, it's it's hard to conceive because we think, you know, man, if I were God, I'd thrown us all away a long time ago. 
Well, you and I probably would have, but not him. He thinks differently. He sees what we're capable of. He loves us. He looks at us at our greatest potential. He doesn't nitpick, as we learned, learned in the first part of James, looking at all our little faults. He's not a nitpicker. Pick, 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 pick. That's not God. God looks at our very best and says, I believe in this person. And his grace floods us and we grow in his grace and his unmerited favor and being filled with his Holy Spirit and the benefits of learning from his word and to start think more like he thinks and loving people and being kind, we start reflecting the life of Christ in the earth. And someday we will all check out of here. Uh, again, good news is we go to heaven. The bad news is you got to die. But uh, we check out of here and we become God's first fruits out of all creation. We become his most valuable You are God's most valuable of everything he's created throughout all of eternity. All the stars and the worlds and the planets. God looks at us broken, sin-poisoned individuals and creates out of us the very best of all creation. It's pretty awesome when you think about that. That's hard to even comprehend. I was praying this morning and I just said, Lord, you know, this just doesn't make any sense. Why? Why do you care about any of us is truly beyond my comprehension. I mean, you know, I know me really well. And if I were God, I wouldn't be nearly as impressed with me as I think he is sometimes because of the way he treats us and how loving he is towards us. But he's God. He's he's got this incredible love. What kind of love? What kind of love looks at us who have sinned? who've been angry and bitter and covetousness and lusting and angry and selfish, what kind of love looks at that and says, I can fix this. I can redeem this. I can make out of these poisoned people my very best, the first fruits of all of my creation. That's what he says he does. Oh, man. If this really starts hitting you, it's like, Wow, this is some pretty powerful and amazing stuff. Just amazing. Anyway, another reason I I just tend to be grateful. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you for caring about me. Thank you for taking my life and making something out of it. It's just amazing. When I first came to Jesus, I was a dope-smoking hippie. (laughs) That was a mess. As big a mess as you can imagine. That was me, clueless, just my whole life was upside down. But yet Jesus came and looked at me and said, you know, I can do something with this boy. He saw something in me that nobody else saw, except maybe my mama. (laughs) She always thought we were wonderful. But anyway, um, what an amazing thing that is. What kind of love is that? That comes and brings the most unlikely bunch of people together. I mean, just look around the congregation with the people you're sitting in right now. Uh, They're wonderful people. But by the world standards, we're not exactly the cream of the crop. We're not what most people would say the very best of the best. As you look around you, you don't see the uh, smartest people in the world. You don't even see the wealthiest people in the world. You don't even see the most talented people in the world. By human standards, we're just a bunch of people from Wisconsin. And uh, people say, why do you live in Wisconsin? God won't let me leave. (laughs) Actually, I love you guys. But uh, the weather's insane. But we're here nonetheless. Nobody looks at us and thinks, wow, you guys are here because you are the best human beings on the planet. 
No, not by human standards, but by God's standards. He looks at you, and that's exactly what he thinks. He thinks, here's the very best. How can he do that? Because of his love. He knows that by the power of his word, the word of his truth, that he's given birth to us spiritually, that we would become a first fruits, a kind of first fruits, the cream of the crop, the top of the top, the very best of everything he created. Whew. What an amazing, wonderful, wonderful thing that is. <sighs> I got a whole two minutes left here. But uh, the very next verse says this, and we'll pick up at this again next week. Um, again, as James kind of changes the channels, you, you can kind of see an overarching theme as he jumps around, but it's, it's not like a lot of the other epistles that are very, one thing leads to the next. But uh, the next one he says, now, my, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Every time I read that verse, I go, ouch. (laughs) You know, it reminds me of the uh, story of the old lady who was sitting in the congregation and the preacher's preaching against people who drink too much. And she's yelling, preacher, brother, good preaching. And then he starts preaching against people who go to those movie shows and see those shows they shouldn't see. And she's going, preacher, brother, preaching. And he's getting all fired up. And he says, he starts preaching against those people who sit around and gossip about other people's lives. And she turned to the person next to her and said, now he's gone, gone to meddling. Kind of the way that we think, you know, is when we're preaching against somebody else, we think it's great. But when it comes to something that we do, now you're gone too far, meddling. And when I was reading this today, I went, oh, it's gone to meddling now. Because this is one area that, uh, you know, I struggle. I'm not the quickest guy in the world to listen and, or the slowest guy in the world to speak. Nor am I the slowest guy in the world to get angry. Sadly, he hits on three of some of my greatest faults. But even in the midst of this, we can learn. So anyway, next week we'll pick up at this point and talk about uh, why we should be quick to listen why we should be slow to speak and why we shouldn't get ticked off quite so quickly because our anger that we think sometimes is so righteous and god's on my side and he must be as ticked off as i am probably not okay and why we probably need to be a little bit more nicer with each other anyway god bless you guys uh enjoy the rest of your evening uh see you on sunday and uh, come back again next week as we continue to study more in the book of james